0: Thank you for tuning into the Pictures of Lily podcast. I'm your host, Lily Moieri. I've been a music journalist since 1992 and I interview a lot of music related people. This podcast is about my experience behind the story, my experience doing the interviews, just to give you a snapshot of what it's like on the other side of the digital recorder. Pictures of Lily. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Pictures of Lily podcast. This is episode 37. We only just realized that podcasters do seasons of their podcasts and take hiatuses. That thought never crossed our minds. We just plow through. So thank you again for plowing through with us. You can find us on every platform by going to picturesoflily.com, where you can subscribe or follow us and also connect to us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Pandora, and Amazon. Although it's really best to listen to the podcast straight from the source at picturesoflily.com as it is the best quality audio without any copyright drama. In this episode, I take a look back at my experiences with the Manic Street Preachers, specifically James Dean Bradfield, in honor of the 25th anniversary of the group's seminal album... Everything Must Go. Here are a few snapshots of my experiences with the Manic Street Preachers. The Manics, as the Welsh group is affectionately and lazily called, have been together since 1986. But I didn't become aware of them until 1996. By this time, they were already on their fourth album, Everything Must Go, which was my first introduction to them. It was also my gateway album to their previous three records. I was sent in advance of Everything Must Go by their publicist at the time, and I was a fan from the first listen. I had a feature assignment from Detour magazine. Shout out to my editor, Trent Buckroyd, who provided me with many amazing opportunities to speak to musicians whose music excited me so much. I was flown to New York to interview the Manix's vocalist, James Dean Bradfield, who had come over to do U.S. press for the album. This was back in the days of Tower Air, which I hope no one listening has had the misfortune of experiencing. This airline's planes were the oldest aircrafts in existence. But their flights from Los Angeles to New York and back were always under $400. So if you needed to go on a last-minute trip, the record companies would put you on a janky Tower Air flight. That was what I was on an evening flight from Los Angeles to New York. I had a huge packet of press materials on the manix to prepare for the interview. I read the whole thing on this freezing cold, dimly lit plane, which, I kid you not, had duct tape holding parts of it in place. I remember this distinctly. Thinking about the Mannix and their rhythm guitarist Richie Edwards, who had disappeared the year prior quite literally without a trace, I really went into somewhat of a romanticized and dramatic place in my head. But I'm not alone in that. Even before Richie's disappearance, the Mannix's trashy, glamorous image, their smudged makeup, their clothes, their nihilistic and mysterious lyrics were very exciting and aspirational. The kind of band that doesn't just have fans, but fanatics. Richie had a lot to do with creating that vibe for the group. But he had a lot of issues. He suffered from depression, anorexia, substance abuse. I remember a mutual friend of mine and his telling me that he would go home to his parents in Wales every time he needed to do his laundry because he just couldn't manage on his own. By the time the plane landed in New York, I was in such a state of Manic's mania in my mind, it felt like I was living in a world of my own creation, built by their myths and legends." That night, straight off the plane, I went to see the Chemical Brothers play at Irving Plaza. James Dean Bradfield was there as he is friends with the Chemicals as well, but I didn't meet him that night. I went to his publicist's apartment the next day for the interview. That day was also the Euro Cup with England versus Germany. The Mannix's manager, who is a lovely man called Martin Hall, told me I'd have to come with them to watch the match and do the interview after. We almost got killed in the cab on the way to where we were meeting the Chemical Brothers, who were still in town and also planning on watching the match. We didn't end up watching the match with the Chemical Brothers, but it was an intense experience watching it with James and Martin. James didn't sit down the entire match because he said it would be bad luck for England if he did. He alternated drinking whiskeys and Cokes and beers the entire match, and he smoked a whole pack of cigarettes. He was pretty aggressive toward me during the whole match, I didn't know him so I just assumed that was his personality, but it's actually not. England lost, James and Martin went to the bathroom and James came back with red eyes because he had been crying over the loss. After all that, we still had to do our interview and James was in such a state, but he really came through. James doesn't write the lyrics for the Manix's music. That job was their bass player, Nikki's, and also Richie's. And James didn't do most of the interviews for the band. That was also down to Nikki and Richie. But because they knew most of the questions would revolve around Richie's disappearance, Nikki said he wouldn't do any of the interviews. Nikki and Richie were very close, and it was just too soon after his disappearance for Nikki to answer strangers' questions about his friend. It was too soon for James, too, but he was still good about answering questions related to Richie. This is what he told me about Richie's disappearance. For us, it's not mysterious. For us, it's deeply painful. We all grew up in the same town. We were all best friends before we formed the group. It's corny, but we were like a gang of hand. When this thing happened to Richie, I think of memories of my childhood. I don't think of things that happened with the group. It's mythological and iconoclastic for people, but for me, he's not just a band member. He's somebody that lived within a mile of me for nearly all my life. Richie's body was never found. From what I remember, Nikki's parents left their landline operational for years in case Richie called. But Richie left behind lyrics to the first of the Mannix's truly successful albums and put them on the trajectory to become one of the most enduring bands everywhere that is besides North America. Not having the kind of success they have in the rest of the world in the US, in particular, was a sticking point for the Mannix for a long time. This is what James told me when I told him I didn't know them before everything must go. If you don't sell records in a country, that's a mere extension of people not wanting to know about you. It's an obvious conclusion to come to. Anybody who forms a group, writes songs, and releases records and says they don't care if people like them are complete liars. The article came out in the music issue of Detour magazine featuring an original image of the group shot by renowned photographer Chris Floyd, who was early on in his career with one of the most memorable layouts of any of my articles ever. At that point, there was a magazine show called Strange Universe. They interviewed me on camera about the disappearance of Richie in 1997 as a so-called American expert on the Manic Street Preachers. This is not a difficult status to achieve, especially since there were so few journalists who wrote about them. If you ever find that footage, please send me a link. I was in New York again for the Mannix and looking forward to seeing James again. But when I went to say hi to him, he said, I've gotten over the last time I hung out with you. And he turned away from me, which really threw me. But I saw him many times after that, and everything was normal, so to speak, and we became friends of sorts. I went to his place in London to interview him for the next record, and it was immaculate. In fact, it was so clean, it smelled like antiseptic. He had an entire wall of books in his living room, from floor to ceiling, all these philosophical, nihilistic titles. I asked him if he ever read a girl book, and I made him buy Lucy Sullivan is Getting Married by Marianne Ann Keyes to read on the tour bus. He told me he couldn't be seen reading it around the others as it had a lavender cover and he would never hear the end of it. He was going on tour the next day and when I left, he left with me to get on the tube to go to Virgin Megastore and HMV to buy videos on VHS to watch on the bus. I was thinking, damn, he's a super rock star and he's just getting on the tube among the public and going to the store in the middle of town. It made me like him even more. Listening to Everything Must Go for this podcast and going through both the Detour magazine article and the Q&A for Hits magazine I did at the time, all the feelings I had when I was preparing for our interview on that tower air flight came back to me. The Manic Street Preachers are a pillar of my music life, and seeing them perform live is one of the few experiences that makes me feel like I'm in my 20s all over again, which is a feeling that I'm always chasing. You just climbed. that's my snapshot of my experiences with the Manic Street Preachers, or I should say, with James Dean Bradfield for Everything Must Go, which was released on my birthday 25 years ago. The only interview I have done with the Manic Street Preachers linked on picturesoflily.com is a QA I did in 2007 with Nikki Wire, and it's not nearly as exciting as the ones with James. But as always with Nikki, it's very articulate. The small black flowers that grow in the sky In the next episode, I will be talking about my experiences with London Grammar, whom I have interviewed three times, once for each of their three albums. Now, burning by my bed for you. From myself and my co-producer, director, editor, Lawrence Schroeder, thanks for listening. And if you have a chance to subscribe or follow the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, please do so and please rate and review. You can connect to us on picturesoflily.com and from there you can choose your preferred podcast platform or SoundCloud or YouTube or Pandora or Amazon. You can also find the playlist for the podcast on Spotify and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Pictures of the